Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from our lead pastor, Chris Dirksen. We're in a series on doubt, and this is part three, and we're covering all kinds of different things that we as human beings, as I said in the first week of this series, doubt is a common, in fact, doubt is an emotion that God wired into us. He made us. The emotion of doubt is something he invented. So it's not bad in and of itself. And we feel doubt in all kinds of places in our lives uh, and for good reasons. But some of the ones that we're hoping to cover in this series are we have doubt about which choice to make. That's a common place where we feel doubt. We have doubt about prayer. That's the one we're going to cover today. We sometimes feel doubt about God. We sometimes feel doubt about what we believe. We sometimes feel doubt about our salvation. Last week we covered self-doubt, which is a common thing that plagues many people. But the question I want to talk about today is the question of the, of the relationship between doubt and prayer. And the big question I want to ask is this, is does doubt make my prayers less powerful? Does a feeling of doubt When I go to God in prayer and I pray for what I need or I pray for what I want, if I have doubt about God, about whether he can do something or about whether he will do something or about how things are going to turn out, if I feel doubt when I pray, does it make my prayers less powerful? And the truth of the matter is many Christians worry or feel or think that it does. Many Christians wrestle with this. Probably many of us at various times in our lives have wrestled with. And many Christians, as a pastor now of a couple of decades, meeting with people, I have seen Christians carrying this burden. I'm thinking of one gentleman many years ago that I was praying with. His daughter had a very, very serious uh, number of health conditions. And so from time to time, he would come into the church and I would sit with him, and we would pray together for his daughter. And often during those prayer times, he would start our prayer time by, out loud, it was like he was trying to convince himself, but out loud, he would repeat over and over again, God has the power to heal my daughter. God has the power to heal my daughter. And I would always say, absolutely, yes, totally, completely. That's a perfectly true statement. But every time we would pray, he'd repeat this. It was like working himself up. I believe God can heal my daughter. And I asked him about it one time. I said, like, you know, it it feels to me like you're almost trying to work up a feeling like your daughter's going to be healed, like she has this serious condition. And he's like, and he was under this impression that if he didn't believe it, that if somehow as we prayed together for his daughter to be healed, and again, she had some very serious things, that if somehow while we prayed, if he didn't have a strong feeling God's going to do it, that somehow that would make it less likely that God would heal her. And I've seen this with many Christians before. And the thing that, that, that it bothers me, not in an annoyed way, I feel for Christians who are made by this belief to carry two burdens. One and one is two. <laughs> two. Let's do it that way. But I feel for the many Christians who end up carrying two burdens. The one burden is the thing they're already struggling with. 
It's bad enough to have a child who has major health problems. That's a huge burden to carry. It's a huge burden to have marriage struggles. It's a huge burden to have, uh, you know, a diagnosis of cancer or some kind of disease. These are huge burdens that we carry, Christians and non-Christians alike. But then on top of that burden, many of us double the weight of the burden. And we carry a second burden, which is, I'm also afraid that I'm the reason this burden isn't getting lifted. So this, this man with this daughter, this lovely, wonderful family, not only did he have the pressure of walking through this issue with his daughter having this huge health condition, he also had this pressure that he thought he was the reason God wasn't answering his prayers. And I wondered to myself, what, first of all, what kind, people aren't bad. We don't come up with this stuff because we're bad. But some of these beliefs can actually be very hurtful. What would that tell us about God? If God in heaven is looking down on you and each one of us here today has our own set of problems. And what would that tell us about God if he's sitting up in heaven right now and here you are today with your issues from very big to maybe less big. And you're crying out to God and you're saying, God, please take this problem from me. And God's like, you know, I would have done it already. I really want to, but unfortunately, you don't have strong enough feelings of belief, so I'm not going to do it. What kind of a God would that be and what does it say about our picture of God? Now, some of us would think, but yeah, but the Bible tells us that this is what it is, so that's what we have to believe. And I don't have enough time in one sermon to touch on every verse in the Bible that talks about faith and doubt. But I want, so I want to talk about, though, one of the most central ones that directly connects these topics of prayer and doubt. And it's found in James chapter 1. Let's read it. James chapter 1, starting in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. So asking God, this is a passage about prayer. Right? That's a big part of what prayer is, is we ask God for the things we need or what that we want. And that's a wonderful thing. We know that from Scripture. And Jesus tells us it's a good thing. And James tells us that we should ask God for things. We should pray to God for the things that we need. In this case, specifically, he's talking about prayer for wisdom. But often, this set of passages gets applied to prayers for anything. And that's perfectly fine as well. So, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. First of all, it's a great promise, right? It's a wonderful promise. If you pray, God's going to be generous, and he's going to give you what you need. But, now here comes the but, and here comes the doubt piece, and here comes the piece that actually scares many of us when it comes to prayer. He goes on to say, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Now, right away, this becomes scary, right? This is like, I don't know, how many of you ever read the Far Side comics? Did any of you ever read the Far Side comics? Okay. And the rest of you, if you're too young to even know what that is, these were the original memes. Okay. <laughs> they were one picture comic, comics where the whole comedy was in one 
slide. It wasn't a strip. It was one slide. And they were the best. All right? And if you find any that are offensive, I didn't like those ones. It was the other ones I'm talking about that they're the best. But one of my favorite Gary Larson ones was this picture. And you have this guy, has invited, he's got a visitor coming into his house. And behind him is this ginormous squid just staring at the visitor. And the visitor's eyes are big like this. And the guy says, don't worry, he's harmless. Just don't be afraid, he can smell fear. <laughs> and of course, the funny thing about it is... <laughs> How can you not be afraid of a terrifying ginormous squid right in your face? But second of all, saying, don't be afraid, he can sense me fear or he can smell fear, makes it worse. Because now not only are you afraid of the squid, you're afraid of the fear. Now you're looking, am I afraid? Am I afraid? And actually, I think this verse about doubt, the way we take it, does a lot the same thing. Right? So he says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Well, now the first thing we ask, the moment someone tells you, don't be afraid, you're checking yourself, am I afraid? When James says, you must not doubt, the first thing we're going now as we pray is, maybe the reason I'm not getting my answer to prayer is because I'm doubting. And that little question is itself a doubt. And now you're in the doubt spiral. So now you're constantly wondering, I'm not getting my answer to prayer. It must be my problem. It must be the doubt. And now you carry this burden. Not only are you not getting your answer to prayer, you know, your kid is going through something, your marriage is going through something, and that's hard enough. You're also carrying the burden that I'm the reason God's not answering my prayer. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the way, now he goes on. Why is doubt bad? He's going to give us two reasons. That person should not expect to receive anything. So no answers to prayer from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. You know what? After reading a verse like this, the way many of us take this passage, I'd actually prefer not to pray. Because why risk the doubt? At least if I don't pray, I'm not praying with doubt. But if I pray and I end up doubting, I'll not get what I want. And God will think of me as a double-minded and unstable person. I don't know about you. But the way many of us understand this passage is actually terrifying. And for some of you, probably deeply demotivating. No longer can we just casually go to God and bring him whatever is on our hearts. Because we have to be concerned about whether or not we're doubting. So, this is how many Christians have just sort of naturally interpreted this passage. We read it, we don't think about the context. And we just take it for what it seems to say with the way we use the word doubt. And we interpret it this way. This is how we often think James is saying. When you pray for something, you must feel certain. Because that's what doubt is. Doubt is feeling uncertain. So notice that this, this, the, the emphasis in our prayers becomes an emotion, which, by the way, right off the bat, is a problem. Because if any of you knows anything about emotions, if you've been a human being for longer than a few years, you know what about emotions. They do this. Yes? For some of you, it's this. For some of you, it's more like this. But many of us have interpreted this to mean, because doubt is a feeling of uncertainty, that's how, we, 
That's how we use the word doubt. So when you pray for something, you must feel certain. You must have the opposite of doubt. You must have an emotion of certainty that God is going to give you what you ask for. Now, I'm going to show you from the context that this is not at all how James thinks of the word doubt. But before I do that, I want to actually give you three reasons. I want to first of all show you three reasons why a theology of prayer that is based on you having to feel certainty in your emotions when you pray cannot be what James is talking about here, right? So let's just go through these three reasons, and then when I come back to James, I'm going to show you from context how he's using the word doubt. And by the way, it'll just open up all kinds of things in the entire book of James. It's really exciting. But three reasons a prayer theology based on feelings of certainty doesn't work. And the first reason is it doesn't match reality. If I pray for a million dollars right now and honestly believe that I'm going to get it, will that change anything? Some of you are wondering, I'd like to see your finances before I answer. I'm nowhere close to having a million. You guys have been generous, not that generous. It doesn't match with reality. Now you say, well, obviously not that. Like, okay, obviously you can't just pray for a million dollars and get it. But if you pray for the right things and have certainty, then you will get them. Actually, still doesn't match up with reality. And you know how many, most of you in here, I'll just use the big C word, cancer. That's a big one that we think of now in modern times. And I bet you almost everybody here, your life, you know if you have a friend or a family member who has gone on that cancer journey, some of them, thanks to God and treatment, have come through it and been healed. Others, most of us know someone who has not been healed and has passed away because of cancer. Now, I have prayed, and by the way, as a pastor, every time someone I hear of someone who gets a diagnosis of cancer. You know what I do every time with them? I pray for them just like I do any other disease or terrible thing. I do the same thing every time that we should do, and I never feel bad, is of course I join them in praying, God, would you please heal them? Of course I do that. And I don't feel bad about that, and I don't question it, and I don't wonder, is this how I should do it? I just, we just tell God what we want. But the reality is, I've prayed for lots and lots of people with cancer. And some of them made it through treatment, and some of them didn't. But you want to know what the saddest thing is? Some of my saddest stories. They're all sad when people pass away. But I'm going way back in time here, so none of you needs to try and figure out a name. You won't be able to do it. But I'm thinking of a couple of instances, families with young kids. Parent gets cancer. Terrible diagnosis. They're so convinced that all they need to do is feel certainty and pray that they refuse to acknowledge the diagnosis. They don't get treatment. I'm thinking of one example in particular. They don't talk about it with their kids. They don't process their emotions. They just are convinced, I'm going to be healed. And because I have feelings of being convinced, and because I'm praying, therefore, I don't need to worry about it. 
In a couple of these instances, the parents passed away with absolutely no planning of what would happen afterwards. No processing with the children. They, didn't, they had these final months, as horrible as it is, they had these final months to connect with each other and say goodbye. Sometimes that can be the greatest gift. And I'm not blaming these people as bad people. They're not bad people. They went through something horrific, but they didn't use their final months to say goodbye. They used their final months just to deny this will not happen. And then they die, and it's absolutely shattering for the family. I have seen whole families walk away from God at the end of that. Because they're convinced that God promised them a certain thing, it didn't come through, therefore God's not real or God's not good. It doesn't match reality. It doesn't match reality. There's a second reason why a prayer theology based on feelings of certainty doesn't work. We haven't even got back into the context of James 1. And that is this, wise praying requires an element, actually requires. It's not just that sometimes you have uncertainty and sometimes you don't. Actually, if you want to be a wise prayer, I want to tell you right now, when you pray wisely, you should have some uncertainty. You want to know why? So that you can plan for potential different outcomes. I pray that I will live long enough to see my kids move up and out of the house. And that won't be when they're like 60. <laughs> I also pay for life insurance. That's this. Yes? Am I right? I knew a man and loved the guy. In fact, this story I'm about to share makes me love him more. He's just that crazy. He was wealthy. He was successful. He believed very much in faith. And he chain-smoked all day long. And someone I know well asked him about that one time. And he said to them, I don't have to worry about my health because I know God's going to keep me healthy. And he just kept smoking his cigarettes. <laughs> Praise God. I don't think it's a good idea. When you pray for your headache to go, go and take a Tylenol, make a doctor's appointment if it's been going for longer than a week. Wise praying requires, when you're going through a marital breakup, yeah, you pray, dear God, save my marriage. And you go and seek counseling and wise counsel. What should I be doing? What happens if this thing falls apart? How are we preparing to get it, to keep it together? How are we preparing if this falls apart? Wise praying requires some uncertainty. And that's okay. You shouldn't feel guilty about that. You should embrace it. Thirdly, feelings of uncertainty motivate us to pray for what often in many cases is what we really should be praying. Feelings of uncertainty motivate us to pray for strength and wisdom, not just for things to get better. Am I right? You know what often the most powerful thing you can pray when you're going through tough times in your marriage or your health or with a child 
I so wish we lived in a world where God snapped his fingers and everything got better, but that's not reality. And oftentimes, the greatest thing you can pray is, oh God, give me the strength and the grace and the wisdom to walk through this. Now, we're going to go back to James 1 in just a second, but I, I want to just stop, because there's one more thing. I just want to, I want to offer to you guys, and I, I want you to hold this like loosely, okay? I'm going to offer you something now. I'm going to take two minutes. We're going to go down a little rabbit trail. I'm going to offer you something, and you don't have to accept it. You don't have to eat it. You can take it home with you, and you can say, oh, that was an interesting way of looking at things. Maybe. But have you ever wondered, because there's, there's, and by the way, I want to say this, wonderful, Jesus, brave, Jesus-loving people, and you can find them on YouTube, and I'm not making fun of them, and I'm not saying they're bad, and they'll get millions of views on their videos. And they will tell you that if you have certainty when you pray, you can do exactly what they do, and they'll go out in the street, and they'll pray for people, and they'll have all these testimonies of people getting better. And by the way, I think it's a really brave thing to do, I think it's really cool. I think these people are sincere and they believe what they're saying. And I also believe that millions of Christians watch their videos and then go home and exactly for the reasons I'm talking about are totally confused. How come it works for them? How come it doesn't work for me? So let me offer you something. You don't have to eat this whole. This is Chris telling you what he thinks. I'll tell you why I don't find those videos helpful or convincing, even though I think many of the people who make them are sincere, good people. The miracles they show are way too small. You don't have to eat this. But lots, and I love when people get healed of back aches and shoulder pain and knee pain. I'm 45 years old. I got runner's knee for the last six months. It's driving me crazy. So, and I love when people get healed of that stuff. I love when people, oh man, I had, and someone goes on the street and prays for them, and they had digestive problems, they get prayed for. No, I don't have any digestive problems anymore. I don't have any shoulder pain anymore. Here's why I'm not convinced that they're showing us a big enough picture of reality. If it was true, if it was true that all you have to do is feel certain and God will answer any prayer you have, I want to show you a picture. And I just, this week I struggled with some of these things because I don't think there's easy answers. These two lovely girls are conjoined twins. They're actually lovely. This happens way more often than you think. Around the world, it's 1 in 30,000 or 1 in 100,000 births. There's a lot of births in the world. If it was true that all I have to do is have a feeling of certainty and I can pray and God will take it away, then we need to have hundreds of certain Christians going all over the world and laying their hands on wonderful children like this. These are wonderful. These two little girls are wonderful little girls but they will live a life of horrendous suffering. And if all you need 
these feelings of certainty and God heals, why doesn't someone go and pray for these girls and just do it and we'll just see God do a miracle and you can even capture it on video. And God will move the bodies apart and they'll be whole and healthy. In Africa right now, there's five million people. Here's, here's a man. Five million people who are missing limbs, often because of horrific civil war and conflict. Five million, just in Africa. They're missing hands, they're missing legs, they're missing, missing half an arm. It's horrendous. And I struggle. I, am, I struggle sometimes as a Christian, and I think that's okay. That's what we see in the book of Job. I struggle, and I think we all should struggle a little bit with the fact that there is this kind of suffering in the world. There aren't easy answers. Sometimes Christians talk as if there's easy answers. Oh, blah, 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 God did this, that, that. That's why there's evil in the world. No, actually, the book of Job tells us, wrestle with this. This is horrible. Now, if it was true that all you need to do is feel certain, and then you pray for something, God heals, then it's actually, in my opinion, borderline a sin that there aren't hundreds of us in Africa right now praying and watch this arm regrow and watch a leg come from nothing. Unless maybe the world is just really messed up and life isn't that easy, in which case also you and I in our struggles don't need to carry this burden that maybe the reason my prayer isn't getting answers is because I don't feel certain. That's not the reason. There are tens of thousands of soldiers in Ukraine and civilians and soldiers in Israel and Gaza right now who have horrific bodily injuries. And the fact of the matter is most of them do not get healed. I'm not saying God never does healing. What I'm saying is there's a reason it's called a miracle, because it's not the normal way God does it. That's just reality. So let's go back to James, and let me show you this in the book of James. Let's look at the context for the whole, you got to pray and not doubt thing. Let's go just a couple verses earlier and see why James is talking about this in the first place. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Then you have to understand about the context of the book of James and of chapter 1. These are the verses right before the verses about pray and not doubt. It's in the context of trials. The Christians James is writing to are going through a number. And I wish if we had a couple hours, I would take you through the book of James, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and he is hitting different kinds of trials very specifically. But one of the big trials is many of the Christians are under crushing poverty. Another big thing that comes up in James over and over again is that the rich people in the Roman Empire, rich and powerful people, were exploiting some of these poor Christians, and not paying them their wages. Read James chapter 5. And James has some sharp words for those rich people. They are under crushing poverty. There is oppression by rich and powerful people. There is religious persecution. These are trials. Now, 
here's what's interesting. If we can get God to do whatever we want simply by feeling certain and praying for it, the very next words should be, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, just pray and don't doubt and your trials will go away. Your poverty will be lifted if you just believe. Your persecution will go away if you just believe. Your oppression will go away if you just believe. But James is actually going to say the exact opposite. Look what he says. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. You don't need perseverance if God's taking your troubles away. You don't need perseverance. James doesn't say, believe and pray, and he's going to answer every prayer exactly the way you want. He says, what you need is perseverance because those troubles aren't going away. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, next verse. Now we get to the prayer part. It's the very next verse. This is all together. See, and this is where as Christians often, we, and it's not bad. You know, I love lots of it, but there's a downside to us knowing all these chapters and verses and memorizing verses rather than context is we don't quote, we quote these parts different. Lots of Christians have memorized, have joy when you face trials. And then on another memory list, we've memorized, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. And we have them memorized on two separate lists. We think of them as two separate things. So when I need an answer to prayer, I remember the verse, ask God anything and he'll give it to you. And when I'm in a trial, I remember, hey, have joy in your trials. And what I don't remember is, I'm supposed to pray in my trial, not for the trial to go away. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He doesn't even tell them. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't. Lots of verses in scripture, when you go through something tough, bring it to God. But James says, you're going through horrible trials, and he doesn't even tell them to pray about the trial. He tells them to pray for wisdom. Okay, now that's interesting. What is, what is wisdom going to help them? You know how we use this verse? Is we use this verse with wisdom as knowledge. So when I need to make a choice about what career I'm going to pursue, I pray for wisdom. And by the way, you should. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm saying this is how we use this verse. When I have problems with my child, I need wisdom how to parent them. You do need wisdom for that. Absolutely. And you can pray for that. That's wonderful. That's not what this verse is about. This verse is not about knowledge. This verse is not about knowledge, how to parent, or what choice you should make about a job. Remember, these people didn't have those choices. In ancient times, no one struggled, what job should I do? If your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. If your dad was a fisherman, you were a fisherman. And some of you women are going, you're sexist, you haven't brought up women. Oh yeah, right. If you lived back in that day and you were a woman, a woman, singular, if you lived in that day and you were a woman, this is what you got to grow up to be. Somebody's husband, probably you didn't even get to choose him. And then you got to cook for him and have his babies 
That's not how I think it should be. That's horrible. That's how it was. So people didn't ask God for wisdom, what career should I do? Even though I think we should ask God for wisdom for that. They didn't ask for wisdom like that. So what kind of wisdom is James talking about here? We think knowledge. I need to know how. I need to know what. That's not what James is talking about here. You say, well, what is James's definition of wisdom? Well, thank God he put it in this letter. James defines for us, and I, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, what wisdom is. James chapter 3. He says, same book. Same guy. Let James define for us, you and I, what he means when he says pray for wisdom. Here's what James means when James says pray for wisdom. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. And I could have highlighted each of these, but I would have just highlighted the whole verse. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers do so in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. Interesting thing here, wisdom for James, and he defines it. Wisdom for James is nothing about head knowledge. You know what it is? It's character. Wisdom for James is character. Specifically, we could call it, Paul would call it, the fruit of the Spirit. And just in case you think, well, you're just making that up. He says this elsewhere. Earlier in James chapter 3, he says this, who is wise and understanding among you? It must be the one who knows what career choice to make, who always knows how to do, who always knows what to do, who knows all that stuff. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who is it? Let them show it by their what? Good life. Character. By deeds. It's what you do. It's not what you know. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That's wisdom. Let's go back to James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, what is James telling us to pray for? Character, fruit of the Spirit. I'm not saying this is what the word wisdom means everywhere in the book of Proverbs. I'm saying in this letter, in this context, this is how James is using the word wisdom. You can just, you, if you have your Bible with you, and you, you still read it physically, not just on your phone, you could underline that, make a little arrow, and say, fruit of the Spirit. If any of you lacks character, the fruit of the Spirit, when, when? Remember what the verse before this was, in a terrible trial. If you are in a terrible trial, and you lack peace, and love, if you're being oppressed religiously or economically and you find yourself full of anxiety and fear and rage and you find yourself fighting and you need the fruit of the Spirit to love your enemy, to have peace and joy, ask God. That's what you ask God for. This, James isn't just telling us what God wants to give us. He's telling us what to pray for. If you are in a trial, yes, yes, tell God what you want. Please heal me. That's what I want. And sometimes he does that. In reality, many times he doesn't. You don't have to feel bad about asking. You ask it. But then you, you do ask this, because James actually does ask to do this. In my trial, 
with my diagnosis, with my struggles in my marriage, with my, you name it, in my trial, I'm asking for the fruit of the Spirit. I'm asking to love the people that oppress me. I'm asking to live with peace in the midst of anxiety, fear, and rage. Ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given to you. Well, in this context then, what does the word doubt mean? If wisdom is talking about character, not some feeling of certainty in your head, what does doubt mean? Doubt, too, is a behavior, not a feeling in your head. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. He's not talking about a feeling of uncertainty. Do you know what was happening in this church? And I, again, I went, we'll have to do a series, and we will. I like here at Crossview, we like to flip back and forth. We'll do like a book study of the Bible, and then we'll flip to topical. Like this series is topical. We're talking about doubt. Then we flip to, at some point, we'll do a whole study on James. But I could show you in James, these people are going through horrible trials, and the result was they were fighting with each other. They were fighting so bad that based on some of the things James says in chapter 4, a lot of commentators think these people, when they went to church, were sometimes getting into fist fights. And I'm like, wow, no Mennonite would do that. We'll blast you on social media behind your back. But punch you in the face, we're better than that. These people actually, under the pressure of their trials, were lashing out at each other. So James says, you're going to ask for character, for peace, love, and goodness. But when you ask for peace, love, and goodness, and then you go out and you act with rage, fear, and anxiety, the one who doubts, it's like a wave of the sea. He's not talking about a feeling of uncertainty here. He's talking about a person who prays, I want to be a more loving, peaceful person who loves those who oppose me, and then goes out and punches someone in the face because they disagree. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, should not expect to receive the fruit of the Spirit from the Lord. You're acting the opposite. Such a person is double-minded. They say they want one thing, but they're doing another. It's a behavior. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I think this truth is a whole bunch of things, and this is where we end. First of all, if you've been praying for something to be healed or taken away and it hasn't happened, I hope this sermon is a relief to you that it's not your fault. Number two, if you're in the midst of a severe trial, health, relationships, whatever it might be, I hope this sermon gives you from Scripture what you should be praying for. Yes, tell God what you want, then buckle down and ask him for what you need, which is peace, love, and joy. Let's take a moment to just reflect. This is our chance just to prayerfully think. If you want, maybe you can just bow your heads with me and close your eyes. If you don't, you can look up here. I've got a couple of things here, but why don't we just take a moment. Close your eyes before the Lord. 
my heart goes out to so many of you because I know a lot of you personally and some of you have been going through some really hard stuff. And I wish like crazy prayer was a magic wand where I could pray for you and snap my fingers and all your problems would be gone. If that was true, I would do it. And you would do it. But God's got something even more beautiful for us. We're a church family together and we're going to walk together with each other through hard times. Amen? And we're going to pray for each other to have love, peace, and joy in the midst of difficult things. And we're going to stand out in a culture where everybody's scared and afraid and mad. Lord Jesus, we now obey what James tells us to pray. We ask today, in the midst of our trials, for wisdom. The kind of wisdom James is thinking about, we ask for the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of our struggles. And now we choose to go out and live that way. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.